Father, we thank you that you are working all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you that we can put all of our hope, all of our confidence in you, knowing that you will never leave us and never forsake us, no matter what this world brings. And Lord, as we look to your word together this morning, remind us that it's we don't have those promises because of anything we've done for ourselves, but because Jesus is enough for us and his perfection, his righteousness, his sacrifice in our place for our sins is what guarantees these things for us, what gives us that hope and that confidence. We thank you that it's never shaken because he is faithful and true. And uh, just have your way in us in this time. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Everyone has their own story of grace. And my story of grace probably would begin with me going to church every single Sunday. Every single time the door was open. We were there Sunday mornings. We were there Sunday nights. We were there Wednesday nights. I was in the little kids' choir. I was in the VBS. I was there. And when you are at church that much, you pick up on some lingo. And you learn the songs that they sing. And there's a song that I learned when I was really young that I've never forgotten. And so I'm going to attempt to sing it with you. And so if you know it, I'm asking you to join with me in singing the song, okay? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Stop. Okay. <laughs> that song goes on forever. If you've ever worked in children's ministry, you know you have lots of time to fill, okay? But that song really has a great truth that when you are in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. And that is where we are going to put down our anchor today in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29. And Paul is talking about Abraham in chapters 3 and 4, helping to underscore this problem that he is seeing in this church. This church, having received the gospel, now has people infiltrating the church and saying, you need the gospel, you need Jesus plus these other things, you need Jesus plus circumcision and Jesus plus the laws and the feasts and all of these things. And Paul is saying, no. And what he's going to do today is he is going to look at the promise given to Abraham. And he's going to do this in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, 15 through 29, as we continue our series on grace. And so in verse 15, he begins, he says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So he says, don't even worry about all those covenants in the Old Testament right now. Just think about your present reality. Think about a contract that you would enter in in the world that you're living, the Roman world and modern-day Turkey in Galatia. If you enter into a contract that is man-made and you ratify it and you seal it, it is non-revocable. He is saying no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified, and that is true also of the covenant of God. And then he continues in 16. He says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. 
Here he goes into a little bit of a grammar lesson, right? He's saying it's not plural, it's singular. And the fact that it's singular means something. And here he is quoting from Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, when Abram was given the promise. Abraham was given a promise that he would have land and children, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and that there would be blessing and it would be forever, that all nations would be blessed through his offspring. And as you read the book of Genesis, you understand that that offspring in the book of Genesis came through Isaac. That even though Abraham tried to go his own way and tried to come up with an heir of his own, that that was not the chosen line. That God said the chosen promise is going to flow through Isaac. And now all these years later, Paul is interpreting that entire story for us. And he's saying that promise to your offspring wasn't all of those children that were down the line. It is the ultimate child of that line, the person of Jesus. The offspring, the fulfillment of that promise, the fulfillment of that covenant that God made to Abraham was in Christ. And he continues in verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to make the promise void. And so with the law coming after the promise, it does not make it void. For if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. And so the fact that we have a law, it does not annul the promise. Why? Very simply in Paul's writing, the promise came before the law. The promise was set in place first. The promise was there as God's covenant to his people of what he was going to do. And then the law came after for a purpose. And so if the promise came before then, our natural question is, why the law? Well, Paul just goes ahead and asks and answers that question for us. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So why the law? Why the law? The law was put into place because of transgression. You see, God brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And he brought them across the Red Sea and he put them into this land. And at Mount Sinai, he gave them the covenant. He gave them the law. And just a couple of pages later, you see them already rebelling against God because their rebellion was in their hearts. Their transgression ran deep. And it's not just their transgression that runs deep. It's ours. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law was put in place for our sin. But the law wasn't as good as the promise, even in the way it was given. You see, it says there that the law had to be given through an intermediary. It was given through the angels and then through Moses to the people. 
And if you say, I don't remember the angels being there in Exodus chapter 20, there is three verses in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 33, 2 through 4, that talk about the angels' presence in that time. But God had to put an intermediary in place, someone who was going to be the judge over the law, because as we know, we fall short. And this covenant that God made in the law had blessings and cursings. Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And throughout the history of the people of Israel, they would go up and down almost on a roller coaster of their faith experience journey with the Lord. But the promise was not that way. The promise was given by the one, and it was on the, the faithfulness of the one. In Genesis chapter 15, when the covenant was given to Abraham, the Lord is sitting there talking with him and he's telling him, he's reaffirming the promises that are coming, that they will be in the chosen land and there will be a chosen people, that all the nations in the world will be blessed through these people who will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and that this blessing will happen forever. And they cut the bull in half and they put the bull, the bull on either sides and this was a very common thing to do with covenants. And what you would do is you would have a covenant you'd slaughter the bull and then both sides of the party would walk through the bull as if to say, may you do to me as we have done to this bull if I do not keep my end of the bargain. But there, with the promise given, with the bull slaughtered, God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. And God, through the presence of a torch, goes through that bull as if to say, this covenant is in play and it's based on my faithfulness. The promise is better than the law. And so then what do we do with the law? Is, are they contrary to one another? Is, are these two different ways that we can get to the Lord? Paul asked this question in verse 21. He says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. There is nothing that we can do in obeying the commands of God that will save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We cannot do enough to be seen as holy before a holy God. And so he has given us this law, but then the law had some purposes, and he begins this in verse 22. He said, But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But the scripture, this God story of moving toward his people, this story of God in redemption and salvation, imprisoned the people under the law until faith could come. He continues this in verse 23. He gets a little clearer. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. That word captive means detained or guarded. That word imprisoned also means confined. We were put into a box. We were there for our own protection. 
when the people were given the law, they needed to know how to relate to this God who had redeemed them out of Israel. And they were given these laws so that they could relate to him until the time would come when the promise would be revealed. But it also acted as a prison because there was nothing they could do to get out of the box of the law without faith and grace and the promise. We could not save ourselves with the law. But the law was also something else. In verse 24, it said, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Now, we still use that word guardian today. When people are signing up for like a, a student retreat, we say we need to know who your parent or guardian is so that we can contact them if need be. But that garden has an even more specific meaning here. That word means a trainer of boys or a tutor. And so if you were a family that had means, you would have a servant or a slave that would work for you, and that, that person would be assigned to your son. And they would live with them and go with them. They would be their protection. They would be their guide. They would be their trainer and their tutor. They would teach them in the way that they should go. They would be their discipline when they got out of line. Oftentimes, these were very strict people because the, peop- the, the child needed to understand how to live and move in society. And the law was our guardian. Until the time that the promise would be made evident, we had to follow these rules because we didn't know better. And by faith, we would trust in the God who provided them, and we would seek to obey them. And then there would be sacrifices when we would fail them. And it would be the cycle we would repeat over and over and over again because righteousness would not come from the law. We had a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. We have never been justified by our works. We have been justified through God and the means that he has provided. And now in Christ, we have the ability to be declared righteous. And that is such a beautiful truth. Being declared righteous is a courtroom scene. It's a forensic word. It gives the image that you are sitting there on the stand and the charges are being read against you. You are being told everything that you have done poorly in your life. Can you imagine such an awful scene to have someone list those things out for you? But then the judge stands up to give his proclamation and he does not declare you not guilty because we know that we are very guilty. But he declares us righteous. And the reason he can declare us righteous is because of the blood of his son, Jesus. Jesus came down and he lived a perfect sinless life in our flesh and bones. He died a death that was meant for us. He took our sin and our punishment upon him And he rose to new life, conquering sin and death and the grave forever. And now God is able to give to us the righteousness of Jesus. So that when he sees us, he does not see that laundry list of our transgressions. He sees his son. We have been declared righteous. Now that faith has come in verse 25, we are no longer under a guardian 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is so beautiful. It says sons there, and I know it doesn't say daughters, but there's a reason why it says sons. It says sons because in the time that Paul wrote this, all of the inheritance, all of the blessing, all of the rights would go through the son. And to be the eldest son meant you had the biggest slice of the pie. You had the most rights. You had all of the protection. And to be the eldest son was a great privilege and place. And God is saying, when you are in Christ, when I have declared you righteous, I have made you a son. You're not just at the back of the table. You're not just in the other side of the room where no one really wants to address you. You are not just part of the family. You are a son. You are an heir. You are a co-heir with Christ. You have tremendous blessing that comes from this. And then Paul continues in 27 by pleading with his people. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You have been baptized into Christ, Galatians. You have left behind your effort and work. You have left beyond trying to earn this. You have been left behind anything but Jesus. You have been baptized with him. You have been made new. When they would get baptized, they would put on a clean robe and they would go down into the water and they would signify identifying with Christ. They would be buried with him in his death and they would raise to new life with him in his resurrection. It's why Paul says, the old is gone, the new has come. He says, Galatians, you have been baptized into Christ, put on Christ You don't need to put on your work. You don't need to put on your effort. You don't need to put on all the things that you can muster up. All you need is him. And that is the promise. When you put him on, you are a son. And so, Paul has talked about the law and the promise. And I just want to make sure we understand the law and the promise. The law is this. It reveals the reality of our hearts. The law reveals the reality of who we are. It reveals how much we fall short, how much we miss the mark. The people needed the law because they needed to understand how to relate to a holy God. It revealed something about who we are. The law also holds us captive. It imprisons us until we understand how we have been set free through the promise. And then the law also acted as our babysitter. It was with us for a time. It was with us for a season. It wasn't contrary to the promise. It was alongside the promise to teach us something until the fullness of the promise had come. And so what about the promise? The promise reveals the heart of the giver. For God so loved the world. It wasn't us who deserved it. It wasn't us who earned anything. It was the heart of a loving God who looked down on the people that he had made in his own image and said, I will send my son to atone for your sin. It sets us free. 
The promise sets us free from having to strive, from having to try to attempt or earn or work our way to God as if we could. In fact, later on in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, it will say it is for freedom that you have been set free. You have not been set free so that you can continue living under a law and living under rules and regulations. No, you have been set free to love. You have been set free to give. You have been set free to do the work of the ministry, not having to try to earn or accomplish anything. And the law also makes us sons. The law gives us the full benefits of the gospel the full benefits of what will be given to the Son he will give to his brothers and sisters out of his great love for us. And then he finishes here in Galatians 3, 28 and 29. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus There are no levels, there are no pre-existing conditions that make you closer to him. There is nothing that separates us. In Christ we are one. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you are in Christ, you are a son of God. And if you are a son of God, you are a son of Abraham. And if you are a son of Abraham, you are an heir according to that promise. And so that means we get to spend the rest of this, rest of our existence, both in this life and the next, living as sons and daughters of the king. You get to live as a son and a daughter of the king. And you are lovely because he has made you lovely. And you have dignity, worth, and value because he has given you dignity, worth, and and value because you belong to him and he defines you. And so I just want to make sure that we understand the weight of what Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28 when he said that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I just want to make sure we're on the same page with this. And so It does not matter what your performance is. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table, right? So it it doesn't matter whether you are an over or an under, okay? It, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you do it the right way or the wrong way, okay? Because in Christ, it's not about our performance. It's about what he has done. It doesn't matter if you are the type of person who puts ketchup on a hot dog or mustard on a hot dog. The choices that we make when it comes to things like this, we do not get preferential treatment before the Lord. He does not select people based on the decisions they make about their hot dogs. I also need to tell you, he does not make this decision based on whether you support KU or K-State. Okay, Whether you bleed purple or whether you bleed blue, it does not put you in a higher standing before him. It does not matter if you are the boss or the employee. It doesn't matter if you are behind the desk or in front of the desk. It doesn't matter if you have made all the money of the world or have yet to make a dime. It doesn't matter what your career trajectory is, what your education level is, what your income is. It does not matter because in Christ we are one. 
It does not matter whether you vote blue or you vote red. It does not matter whether you are a man or a woman. And it does not matter whether you look like me or you look like my mentor and spiritual father in the faith, Rodney. In Christ, we are one. There is nothing that we bring to the table that sets us ahead of anyone else. And when we, by grace, receive the promise of God, we are all his children. We get to live as sons and daughters of the king. When I was in high school, I went on a mission trip to Mexico. And I had done all of those VBSs growing up all of those years. And I go down and they had a construction team and you can see the size of my arms and you know that I was not on the construction team. And I was on the VBS team, right? And so I got to go and work in this, this little church with these kids and it was a blast. And then it came time to sing the songs and I was completely out of my element, right? Because I don't know any songs in Spanish. And then all of a sudden they began to sing and I picked up on it very, very quickly. Padre Abraham tiene muchos, muchos hijos tiene Padre Abraham. Different culture, different language, same songs, same truth, same Savior. They were my brothers and sisters. And you are my brothers and sisters. And we get to live as sons and daughters of the king. And that means we get to walk out of this place today knowing that we don't have anything that we have to go earn. That we are who he says we are and we get to walk out of here and now we get to love. We get to love our fellow brothers and sisters and we get to love those who are not brothers and sisters yet because we have what we know that they need. And we can go out and we can tell them about the gospel of grace that has radically transformed our lives and has given us the hope of glory. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for grace. Thank you for the undeserved favor that you have given Thank you that you looked down on a people who went their own way, who did what was right in their own eyes, and that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son. And Father, whether people are running, trying to run towards you or they're running away from you, Father, you sent Jesus for them. And he died so that they may live. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for his faithfulness. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. And we are thankful that he is preparing a place for us to go and to be with him for all of time. But Father, until that day, while you have left us here, you have left us here for a purpose. While we have breath in our lungs, may we be a people who never tire of telling everyone else about the grace that we have found, about the blessing that you have given, about the promise that has come true in Jesus. 
Father, if there are people in this room who have not yet crossed over the line of faith, who have not yet, who have not yet said yes to your promises, Father, I pray that you might leave them unsettled, that they might have a conversation with someone and they might trust in you and you alone for the forgiveness of their sin and they might become your child today. Father, we thank you for your many blessings and we pray that we will honor you in all we say and do this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week, church.